0: Good morning. We've been uh this is Pentecost Sunday, and uh we've been spending the time since Easter and, and this Sunday to uh basically look at the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and uh what he does and how he acts in our life. And uh this will be our, our last message for now on the Holy Spirit. Well last week we looked at spiritual gifts. And uh, this morning we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, but primarily what we're going to look at with regards to the fruit of the Spirit are three different ways in which we can go through life. And Paul wants to illustrate uh, in Galatians chapter 5, uh, from 3 to 5, he's illustrating a couple of wrong ways in which we are meant to live and a right way in which we are meant to live. And... Uh, in order to hopefully simplify and not complicate an already sort of complicated <laughs> idea, uh, I want you to put this thought in your mind in terms of different ways of living. And the first one is, are there any dog people here? Who has dogs, likes dogs? Oh, lots of dog people, okay. Um, so when you go to the park, there's kind of different kinds of dogs that you see. There's, there's the dogs on a leash, and uh, when you go to the park, you're happy to see the guy with the dog on the leash. and uh, you know that's the dog that's sort of a little rambunctious wants to do his own thing but he's sort of restrained by by the man uh and uh, and he's chained and then there's other kinds of dogs if you're at the park or maybe you're out in the street when i was in the ukraine actually this is a bad problem in the ukraine when i was there on missions there was dogs all over the city and they're just kind of running wild they don't have any master and uh, they form up in packs and they do their own thing. And I'm sure those dogs, if they could talk to the dog on the leash, they would say, hey, you should come join us. You know, you're chained to that master, that's horrible. You don't want to be on a leash. You want to be free like us. The problem with those dogs is that, you know, they end up being very sickly and hungry and can be hit by cars and people kick them and they generally are not nice dogs. And then there's the third kind of dog, which doesn't need a leash. You're at the park and it just listens to its master. It knows the boundaries of where it is supposed to go. It knows that it's supposed to stay in the park. It, it loves its master. It listens to its master. And, uh, and, uh, really is more free than either of the other two dogs, right? The third dog has the most freedom because it's bound by the love of its master. And so you'll see where I'm going with that. But I wanted to give you that illustration to start with because we're going to be talking about freedom this morning and we're going to be talking about three different ways in which Paul wants to instruct the Galatians as how they can go through life, two wrong ways and one right way. And so the Apostle Paul wants to argue with his Christian friends in the city of Galatia, which the letter to, Galatian, to the Galatians is, it's to the church in Galatia. He wants to make crystal clear to them what true freedom is and where that freedom comes from. And so we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, and so if you have your Bibles you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in one of the seats in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible or you don't have a Bible of your own, you can take that Bible with you. Just take it home. I just made that up right now. The elders didn't say I could do that. (laughs) I didn't have permission to do that, so maybe I'll get in trouble afterwards. But if you don't have a Bible, you take that Bible, because everybody needs to have a Bible. So... And I won't get in trouble. I'm pretty sure I won't get in trouble for that. So it's Galatians chapter 5. And uh, so Galatians chapter 5, uh, we'll start with 5.1. We're going to move on to the fruit of the spirit. But in, in Galatians chapter 5, chapter or verse 1, it says, um, what does it say? I better get the right version here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so there's freedom that Paul wants for his Christian friends. And he says, there's freedom in Christ, and that we are to stand firm and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And there's two yokes that Paul is going to talk about here, and this is yoke as in a yoke of oxen where you are bound to something, that big wooden, you know, that big wooden thing that sits across the neck of a horse or sits across the neck of an ox, and, uh, it binds them to another animal or it binds them to a master that can turn them. And so, so Paul is saying, I don't want you bound again to another yoke of slavery. And the first yoke that he deals with in Galatians is the yoke of the law. And so as you go through here, in verses 2 to 12, he talks about being set free from the law. He says, you have been severed, in verse 4, he says, you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified from the by the law, uh, you have fallen from grace. So he's saying, if you try to live your life according to the law, you actually separate yourself from Christ and that you are fallen from grace. Because he says in verse 5, he says, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So Paul says there is a righteousness coming that we are waiting for through the Spirit and that we are not to return to the law. And all through Galatians, uh, the Chapters 3 and 4 in Galatians, Paul is making the argument as to why these Christians in the church in Galatia should not return to the law. And people wanted them; people had come into the church in Galatia and wanted them to be circumcised, and they wanted them to follow the feasts, and they wanted them to follow the uh, the, the holy days, and they wanted them to follow all the old laws of Judaism, and they were called the Judaizers. And Paul says, you're free from that, and in fact, if you submit to the law, you fall from grace and you actually sever yourself from Christ by being bound to the law. And Paul doesn't want them to be bound by the law. And then he goes on in verses 16 to 25, where we're going to focus this morning, and he talks about the yoke of the flesh. And he doesn't want them to be bound by the yoke of the flesh either. Uh, Verses sort of 13 through to 25, we're going to focus on 16 to 25. But Paul doesn't want us to be bound by that yoke either. And so if we turn there in Galatians 5, we'll look at the main text today, Galatians 5:16 through to 25, which reads, But I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I am warning you as I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. And so in that text, and the key problem that Paul is dealing with in chapter 3 through 5 is found in verse 17. If you're looking at the your Bible there, in verse 17, Paul outlines the key problem, and I think this is the key problem that we all struggle with in living our Christian life. He says, For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the spirit, and the spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh, for these are in oppositions to each other, so you cannot do what you want. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Romans chapter 7, and Paul struggling with the reality that he finds himself doing the things that he doesn't want to do and not doing the things that he does want to do. And Paul is repeating this same problem here to the church in Galatia and saying, this is the problem that we have. And though we're children of God, as long as we still live, we groan, it talks about in Romans 8, we groan in the flesh and we wrestle, as it said in Romans 7, with our flesh and we're still liable to commit sin. But we're not slaves to the power of sin that we're bound by it any longer or forced to give into it and so paul is assuming here in his teaching that he's talking mainly to christians he's talking to brothers and sisters in christ and he, we can understand that because he says they they want to do what is right they want to do what is righteous but they but they don't and, and sinners and people who are not um people who have not uh, been redeemed by christ they don't have that problem for the most part Right? They sin and they don't struggle with sinning because they enjoy their sin. And they, and they don't, they don't seek after something else. So Paul is speaking to to Christians here who are struggling with this reality that they still have the old man. They still have the old flesh still living in them and it is at, in battle and it's in conflict with the Spirit. So this is really the crisis verse. This is the problem that Paul wants to solve. That the flesh has desires opposed to the Spirit and the Spirit has desires opposed to the flesh. And so you could picture it this way, that there's a point in which, in the timeline of your life, there's a point in which you're saved. And so that first point is you come to know Jesus and you accept him into your life and you, it's your conversion and you have the Holy Spirit. And then there is another point at, at, at which point that you are uh, perfect, that you are now sinless, that you have, uh, you know, reached perfection and uh, that you, there's no longer any struggle and and just to be clear, at this point, you're no longer breathing oxygen because you're in heaven at this point. Uh, that's the other end of the, the spectrum. And, uh, you know, you're, you're fully righteous and, and you're in, in heaven with Jesus. And, and so between those two points though, the space in between is where Christians live. Right between salvation and glorification, and and that's the space that Paul is describing, where the Holy Spirit is doing this job of transformation, of of moving us away from our old flesh and forwards towards our new glory. And he hinted at it. I, I mentioned it when I talked about Galatians chapter five. There, um, he said in Galatians, or sorry, Galatians verse five. I hinted at it. He says there, talking about the law. He says, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. And so Paul is saying, you've accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit has come into your life, but you're still waiting for righteousness. It's going to come through the Holy Spirit. God does not immediately make us perfectly righteous. He does not perfect us and make us sinless in this life, nor, when we're saved, does he take us immediately to heaven, because we're all still here, right? And so we accept Jesus, and we receive the Holy Spirit, and we are neither taken immediately to glory, nor are we made immediately perfect. And righteous, and so we have this transition time, this transformation time where the flesh is still opposed to the Spirit and that's where we live. And that's the crisis. That's the problem that we all wrestle with as Christians. And that's the problem that Paul wants to address here. The fact that we're living in this space in between. And it's important to understand that this conflict is going on all through our Christian life. And it's important to understand that this conflict is going on right now. Right? I have... The word of God open, I have the Bible open, and I am speaking to you the word of God, and you have your Bibles open, and you're looking at those, and you're reading the word of God, and so the Holy Spirit is trying to work right now through the word of God in your flesh, and right at this minute, your flesh is at war with that, and if not this minute, then later on this week, and it's saying, don't listen to this, you're fine. You know, whatever this guy's talking about, he's crazy. You know, don't pay any attention to that. Or, you know, maybe you're thinking about the ball game that's coming up this afternoon. Or, you know, you're thinking about dinner that's in the oven, whatever. Your flesh is at war all the time trying to resist what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. This is a battle that's going on all the time in our flesh. And Paul understands that because there's an old man that is still there with us. Ephesians 5 talks about the old man or the old self that we still struggle with. And so it's important that we realize that this is going on every day. It's going on right now. But the good news is, the good news that even though this is going on, you think that sounds like a lot of bad news, the good news is this is actually God's plan. God planned for us to be in this struggle. God intended for us to live with our flesh and the Spirit for this period of time. He neither perfected us nor took us to glory right away. So this period that we live in where we're in conflict is actually God's plan. And so we can rest in his sovereignty that this is how he intended it. We may not fully understand it, but this is how God intended it. In Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And so that's where our confidence lies. So yes, we have this struggle. Yes, our flesh wants things that our spirit doesn't. Yes, our spirit wants things that our flesh doesn't. And we long for that day, but we are confident, as Paul says in Philippians, that he will continue to work until his work is finished in us in Christ Jesus. But this is where we live. God does not wholly remove the desires of our flesh at conversion. He doesn't completely remove the old flesh, the old sinful nature. And we might rightly ask why. I mean, I got to that point in my study and I immediately asked the obvious question, why? Why would God do that? Why doesn't he just make us perfect right now? Or why doesn't he just take us to glory? Why do we have this time in our life where we struggle with the old flesh? Because it's not a fun struggle. So why doesn't he remove those desires completely? And a few quick answers, because that's not really what I'm talking about today, but a few quick answers are, is that we are in this time and place, at this time is also the means by which God is working out his kingdom's purpose. And so we remain here as witnesses of his gospel. It talks about in Acts one eight that we are to be a witness of the power of God working in our life. and. We need that old fleshiness in order to have victory over it. It's the victory that we have over the flesh. It's the victory that we have over our sinful nature that is the testimony of God and his kingdom and what he has to offer to the world. So that might be part of it. you know. Or we're filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Part of the glory of God's kingdom is the ongoing victories that we have over sin and the obedience that is learned in suffering. Colossians 1.24. Paul talks about this or that we are putting on display the glory of God to powers and principalities that are watching God's church in action on earth, Ephesians 3.10. God says that there's powers and principalities that are actually watching us and watching his church to understand how the grace of God is at work in us. And so we're on display for God. We are the testimony in our weakness and suffering of God's grace. And we are meant to be trophies of that grace that give him glory. We're reminded of our own weakness. You think of Paul and the thorn in his flesh in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, and the humility that it caused him. It humbled Paul to remember that he continued to be dependent on the Lord. And he, we are continually dependent on Jesus because of the infirmary of our sinful flesh, that he is our high priest and our advocate. And so we're bringing him glory. So there's lots of... Let's just quick read... Lots of reasons maybe why God has left us in this state. But this is the core problem that Paul has to deal with. We're like Schofield says, we are two trees, the old tree of the flesh and the new tree of the divine nature implanted by the new birth. And the problem itself is how do we keep the old tree barren and make the new tree fruitful? That's the problem Paul wants to deal with. How do we keep the old tree barren and make the new tree fruitful? And the first thing is, which we touched on, is that the law is not the answer. Paul's already said that the law will not work to set us free. The works of the old law is circumcision and the feasts and the sacrifices and all the stuff that God put in place to try to restrain our rebellion. The law was like the the guy, the dog on the chain, right? The chain was just trying to restrain our flesh. It was trying to rein us in. And the law, although perfect, was good. Our flesh was simply too sinful for the law to be effective. It was made weak through our flesh, and it couldn't change our hearts. You think about that dog on the chain that is trying to run away from its master. The heart of the dog is not changed, right? It's still the same dog. It's still the same crazy dog that wants to go after that squirrel, or chase that car, or tear the sofa apart and eat all the stuffing, right? The heart of the dog is still the same. It wants to wreck the living room. It's just the chain that's restraining it, and that's what the law was like. Paul said the law was just this chain that sort of restrained us, but it never really changed our hearts because we were weak in our flesh. And so the law, Paul says, the law is not the answer. The law is not the way that you are to go through life. You're still the old dog, even though you're on the chain. And Paul doesn't want us to stay slaves to the old law or to the old flesh. Paul says that we are set free from both the law and also set free from the flesh by the Spirit. And so don't be under the yoke of the law and don't fall back under the yoke of the flesh. And the work of the flesh, he says, are really easy to see. It's not hard for us to figure out when we're under the yoke of the flesh. He says the work of the flesh are obvious. And I mentioned them all. Sexual immorality and idolatry and sorcery and hostilities and strife and jealousy and outbursts and anger and selfish rivalries and all those things. And I put them up there. So he says, don't, don't live out your life through the works of the law And don't live out your life through the works of the flesh. You know, sexual immorality and and impurity and and depravity and and idolatry, putting things uh, ahead of God that, that God should come first, setting up anything for a satisfaction in your life other than God. And we have all kinds of idols. Sex is one of our idols, right? Or money is an idol or work is an idol. Even family is an idol, we look to something, it could be our kids or it could be our, our husband or it could be our wife or it could be our money or it could be our cottage or it could be whatever. We look to that and we say, we'll be satisfied as long as we have that. As long as I've got my kids and they're healthy and they're not in jail and you know my family is good or as long as my husband loves me and we stay together or as long as I have my job and my money or as long as I have my retirement, you know I, I'm satisfied and I'll be okay. My future hope and my future joy is in that and my future hope and my future joy is not in God. So, when anything takes the place of God for your future hope and your future joy, that's an idol. It's something that you've put in the place of God. Or sorcery, he talks about here, or witchcraft. And, and sorcery or witchcraft is any sort of ritualistic, um, you know, um, magic and, and uh, sort of New Ageism or crystals or trying to control your life by some sort of power other than by submission to god and to jesus christ and there's witches out there don't kid yourself i mean minden had a really well-known coven and uh, we had a witch actually that came to our church back in guelph and we had to deal with her and uh, so there's actual witchcraft out there and sorcery but but beyond actual witchcraft and sorcery is the reality of us trying to manipulate god or manipulate our life by anything other than submission to god and then you have hostilities and strife and jealousy and and those are all pretty straightforward right that Paul puts together these descriptions of the actions of the flesh and hostility and strife and jealousy are all the sort of blanket categories of things that happen in our, in our hearts where we are creating situations that cause other people grief or trouble or jealousy, wanting to keep what is ours and not allow anyone else to have it. And and Paul expands on those and he says, that including outbursts of anger and selfish rivalries and dissension and factions. And, and those are all examples of the results of those attitudes of the flesh, right? Just angry for no good reason and and uh, being hurtful to people that are around you and getting into power struggles with people around you out of selfishness or uh, just to feel more powerful than other people. and And those types of attitudes of the flesh cause dissension and disagreement and friction and factions and all of those things. And Paul says... I don't want you to be a slave to any of those things anymore. I want you to be free from the law. I want you off the chain. And I don't want you to fall back into slavery of the flesh because all of those things will just consume you. He says if you continue in that way, you'll be consumed. And then he talks about drunkenness and carousing. And, and Paul just tacks on a couple of addictions there on the end as well. Our flesh seeking to you know, sort of chemically escape or alter our moods or just escape from the reality of its slavery by enslaving ourselves further. So drunkenness and overindulgent parties basically refers to anything in excess. Giving yourself over to something in the hope that by giving yourself over to it, rather than giving yourself over to Jesus, it will somehow bring you joy or bring you happiness or bring you peace. And instead it brings just the opposite. So it could be anything. It could be more than just drunkenness. It could be overeating. It could be any kind of overstimulation. Just giving yourself completely over to something that controls you. And so Paul says, similar to what he said about the law, you remember he said that if you bind yourself to the law, you sever yourself from Christ, you've fallen from grace. And then over here, he talks about the flesh, and he says anybody who practices those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So either slavery is just as bad. You can you can enslave yourself to the law and trust in the law and trust in your own righteousness rather than trusting in the righteousness of Jesus, or you can enslave yourself to the flesh. And entrust yourself to your be your own master. You know, just like those wild dogs out, you know, they don't have any master, they just do their own thing. And and you can entrust yourself to yourself or be your own God. And either one of those things are equally damning. Either one of those things will separate you from God if you practice those things. Now it's important to notice there that when Paul talks about the works of the flesh and he talks about practice, you have to understand he uses the Greek word praseo. Apresso, which is to not practice or not make a habit of. And there's another Greek word which means don't do these things at all. Um, and that's not the word that Paul typically uses. He uses that word in another sense. And so when he's talking about these things, he's not saying that Christians will never have these struggles. He's not saying that Christians will never uh the old flesh of the Christian won't ever raise its head and that we won't ever struggle with it, because we will. But he says you should be able to. it's obvious you should be able to look at your life and decide whether you're enslaved to it or not because you continually make a habit of practicing these things. And we know that he doesn't mean that you'll never do them because in chapter 6 he goes on to say, Brother, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him. So he is acknowledging that we will still struggle with our old flesh. And we will at times maybe even give in to our old flesh. But he says, I don't want you to be enslaved that way. So what's the answer then? What does Paul want? Paul does have an answer. He says he wants you to follow the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and against such thing there is no law. So he says that's how you're to live out that life. You're not to live it out under the works of the law. You're not to live it out under the works of the flesh. You're to live it out under the fruit of the Spirit. That that's what his hope for you is. That's where freedom is found, is in the fruit of the Spirit. And just three quick things about the fruit of the Spirit. First of all, is that the fruit of the Spirit are not multiple fruit. And you've probably heard this before. The word in your Bible is that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that is is not accidental. It's in all the manuscripts. Fruit is singular. So the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit. It is the one fruit of love. And that serves an important purpose because if it was plural, then we'd be able to sort of pick and choose among the spiritual fruits, sort of the way we pick and choose among the spiritual gifts. You remember last week I said that you know there's all these different spiritual gifts and God has given all of the gifts to the people in the church and we all need to exercise our spiritual gifts together so that all of the gifts are present. So there is the gift of mercy and the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching and the gift of compassion and the gift of generosity and the gift of leadership. And not everybody has all the gifts. You, you you have a gift that's your strongest gift and you exercise that gift. But the fruit of the Spirit are not multiple fruit. You don't get to pick and choose. It's one fruit, which is love. And so you can't say, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really growing in love, but I, I'm, I'm really terrible at patience. Well, patience is part of love, right? You don't get to pat, pat yourself on the back and say... You know, I'm really gentle, but I don't have any self-control. It doesn't work that way. When you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, it's one fruit, and they're all growing together. These are all characteristics of the same fruit. And so you don't get to pick and choose and say, well, it's okay that I'm not so great you know, at faithfulness, but I'm really kind. And so that's great. It's like, no, these all come together as one package. When you are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, then you're growing in all these different areas. And so it serves an important purpose that it's singular and not plural so that you can't sort of, pardon the pun, cherry-pick among the various fruit of the Spirit and say, well, you know, I'm just going to focus on the ones I'm strong at. God says, no, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and all of these things encompass love. The fruit are not meant to be picked individually. They're meant to be grown all together. And the other thing, too, is notice here that Paul talks about two different kinds of works. He talks about the works of the law and the works of the flesh, which are behaviors, especially the works of the flesh, right? But whereas when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's not talking about works. The fruit of the Spirit is a characteristic or a demeanor. The fruit of the Spirit is not a list of specific activities that is somehow the opposite of the list of the activities or the works of the flesh, right? The fruit of the Spirit is not help old ladies across the street or even you know, tithe generously. The fruit of the Spirit is not go to church or read your Bible. The fruit of the Spirit is not activities that you can somehow do as a list of rules in order to improve your behavior or improve your righteousness. And that's intentional because the fruit of the Spirit is not about behavior. Paul has already spent all this time saying it's not about how you work. And it's not about the works of the law. And it's certainly not about the works of the flesh. Those are things that you work at. Those are things that you do in the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit gets deeper than just the outward things that you are doing. It's worse than just the fact that you have bad behavior. As, as Christians, we tend to think we look at our life when we say, "Oh, you know, I was a bad person yesterday or I treated that person really badly or I did something bad and I need to behave better." And that's how we tend to think as Christians. But Paul here by by bringing forward the fruit of the spirit, he says it's worse than that. It's not that you do bad things, it's that you're bad. It's that you have it's not that you do ugly works, it's that you are ugly in your heart. Your heart is ugly. And it's that ugliness in your old nature that has caused that ugly behavior. Welcome to church. (laughs) I mean, we're not going to get anywhere unless we're honest with each other, right? And this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying it's not about works, not about works of the law. It's not about works of the flesh. It's about the fact that your heart is ugly, and it's your nature, it's your demeanor, it's your characteristic that has to change. And so the fruit of the Spirit goes deeper than just our behavior to change our whole nature. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit is not you know, sharing your wealth or reading your Bibles or going to church. It's about love, peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. And against those things, there is no law. Because if you have that fruit of the Spirit in your life, whatever you're doing is going to be according to the law. Because the one who has love would never harm his neighbor, Paul says in another place. And so this is intentional, that the fruit of the Spirit are not works. And then the other thing that I want to notice about this fruit thing is that works of the flesh but fruit of the Spirit, our flesh is the result of our own work. We can work at the law or we can work at our flesh, but with fruit, what work can you do to grow fruit? Any farmers here? Any fruit growers? Connected to the vine, exactly, yeah. Jim's a farmer. He's got a farm. He knows what it's like. The only work we can do is we can till the soil. We can pick some rocks. We can pull some weeds. But we can't make fruit grow, right? We can't cause it to grow. It's up to God to cause the fruit to grow. The only thing that causes fruit to grow is the nourishment that that, that it gets from it. And so this is where Paul is trying to explain to people that where you're planted and and what you are connected to is where the fruit comes from. This is how you're supposed to lead your life. This is what Jesus has come to do. This is the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ, is that he set you free from the law. He set you free from the flesh. You're now grafted into the vine. You're a branch that is now attached to the trunk, and that trunk is Jesus, and it's from Jesus that the fruit of the Spirit are going to grow. This is what Paul is getting at. Jesus taught in John 15, 4. He said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We're meant to be abiding in Jesus. We are meant to be a branch that is attached to the trunk that is Jesus. He says in Luke 6.43, He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. And so Jesus is teaching here and Paul is expanding on what Jesus is teaching, which is that at that first point in our life, when we came to know Jesus and when the Holy Spirit entered into our life, the old flesh was not completely gone, but we were grafted into a new trunk. We were part of a new vine and we were not to work. You don't see a tree branch get down from a tree and run around trying to do a whole bunch of work to get its fruit to grow, right? The tree branch stays attached to the trunk and it's the trunk and the roots that nourish the branch which cause the fruit to grow. And that's what Jesus is teaching and that's what Paul is trying to say. is You're set free from the law, you're set free from the flesh and you now have this ability to be rooted in Jesus and to grow in the Spirit and to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Rick Warren has this neat illustration in his book, Purpose Driven Life, and he talks about this idea of fruit and the old nature, and he's and he ties into what Jesus is teaching, and he has a he paints this picture of the old thorn tree. And so the old tree or the old flesh, like Schofield says, is this old thorn tree, and that's what our life is like before the spirit enters, and we have opportunity. And then Rick Warren talks about uh, how as Christians we sometimes work really hard to try to produce fruit of our own. And so we have this old sort of stick dead thorn tree and we try to run around and attach and tie fruit to it. And so we get an apple and a pear, and we get some twine, and we tie it to this dead tree, and we say, "Look, there's some fruit." You know, I, you know, I, I taught VBS, or I, you know, I helped this old lady across the street, or I read my Bible, and I tried really hard, and I, you know, I did all the things that you know my grandma said I was supposed to do, and, and we never, it just feels like we're working all the time to try to produce some sort of uh, goodness in ourselves, or or or, or um, to live up to an expectation that we can't meet in ourselves. And Paul says, I don't want you to do either of those things. Jesus says, I don't want you to do either of those things. He says, I want you to be this tree. I want you to be this tree that's planted in me. I want you to be this tree that just is growing up out of the Holy Spirit that I've put in your heart. That you are, that you're, that you are getting your nourishment from the Holy Spirit and from my Word. And that I am empowering you so that, so that you have the fruit of the Spirit just naturally blooming and blossoming and growing in your life. And you become a tree like that tree. That's what Jesus wants. That's where the fruit of the Spirit comes from. And so you ask, you say, well, what, is, you know, what does that look like? Where, where does that come from? Well, the answer is the same as it's always been. It's the same answer Jesus gives, the same answer Paul gives, same answer I give. It's always the same answer. It's the stuff we've been talking about the last few weeks about the Holy Spirit. If you want to be that tree and you want the fruit of the Spirit to just sort of grow up in you, then you have to be planted in Jesus Christ. You have to be in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you through His Word. You have to open up His Bible. And you have to read His words and let Him nourish your soul. And you have to look to Jesus and pray to Jesus and ask Him to be setting you free from the things of the flesh that are in your heart and putting to death the old tree. Paul goes on here after talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He says in verses 24 to 25, he brings it around and he says, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, then let us also behave in accordance to the Spirit. This is the beginning of how you have the fruit of the Spirit. You have to crucify your flesh. You have to be crucified with Christ. You have to give your life over to Jesus Christ and say, It's not me. It's not my work. It's not what I do. It's what you do. And if you want to live by the Spirit, you have to give yourself over to the instruction of the Spirit through His Word. And you have to pray to the Holy Spirit that He would set you free from these things so that these things would bloom in your life and that they would grow. This is where you need to shift from rebellion to submission. You need to shift from pride to humility. You need to shift from loving darkness to loving light. And that gets you on the path of walking in the Spirit. And that gets Jesus at the center. And we just start beholding Him. We just start learning about Him. We start loving Him. We start letting the Spirit teach and transform us. And we depend on Him. And we pray for His help. And we let Him work through spiritual gifts. And we let Him work through the people around us. That's the Christian life. And So just embracing the Christian life and letting the Holy Spirit work is how this happens. And Paul gives this great verse in 2 Corinthians 3, 17-18. Where he sort of, like I said, he's teaching the same thing over and over again, and he sort of ties this together. In 2 Corinthians three seventeen to 18, he says it this way. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what is the simple answer that I can give you today of how this happens is right there. We behold the Lord who is Spirit. We get our eyes fixed on Jesus. We turn away from the things of our flesh and we turn towards the things of the Spirit. We turn towards the things of God. And that allows the fruit of the Spirit to grow in us. That allows the not to be caught up in what we are working at or what we are doing or how we are trying to gratify ourselves, but it allows the Spirit to work in us and allow these fruit to grow. And I think what's important to understand here is that we see these fruit grow in contrast to the law and to the flesh. And so in your life right now, you're all facing different things. You're all facing different people. You're in a situation where there's someone in your life where you need to, uh, this is the test of, of the fruit, where, where they are really trying your patience and you need more patience. Or there is a situation in your life where you're not feeling very loved or you're not feeling like you have very much love to offer and you need the fruit of the Spirit, you need love to give. Or there's a situation in your life where uh, someone is not being very kind to you or when you think of them, you don't really think about being very kind to them and, and you need the fruit of the Spirit of kindness in those areas. Right. And so that's the test of where the fruit of the spirit is in your life is when you have that challenge, because Jesus says everybody can be nice to those who 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 are nice to them. Right. Everybody can be kind to their friends. Everybody can be kind to the person that uh, that is good to them. Uh, He says in Matthew 5, 46 and 48, he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Or if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But if you are to be perfect even as your, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is to be perfect. And, ha- and so how do you do that? It's in the tests is where the fruit of the Spirit reveals itself. It's in the tests in your life. And so you can think right now in the different areas of your life where you're not maybe feeling the joy that you should have. Or, the, or you're thinking of a situation in your life or a person in your life where, where you don't feel, feel very joyful about that person or very kind or very patient or very long suffering. And so those are the areas where you turn and look towards Jesus. And you turn and you depend on the Holy Spirit. And you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to bear that fruit in your life. Because it's not the law that we are to be bound by. It's not the flesh that we are to be under slavery of. It's by the fruit of the Spirit that we are set free. The Spirit is freedom. Freedom to love. Freedom to love where love shouldn't abound. Freedom to be kind and to be joyful and to be patient and to be long-suffering where none of those things should abound. And so we each look into our own life and we ask the Holy Spirit to bear that fruit in our life so that we go through our life, yes, still struggling with the old flesh, but having victory over it by the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, there's a big mystery here that Paul took this whole letter to try to unpack for the Church of Galatia, which is just the reality, that verse 17 reality, that we still struggle with our old flesh. And as Christians, we don't fully understand why, and we don't enjoy that struggle. We don't want to do the things that we do. And the things that we do want to do, we wake up the next morning and realize we didn't do it. And so, Father, we need your Holy Spirit. We need the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And so I just pray that we would be like that third dog that just has its eyes on its master and loves its master and listens to its master and has all the freedom to act however it wants to act, knowing that it acts out of love. And as long as it's acting out of love, it's good. And Lord, we have situations in our life where the fruit of the Spirit are not that evident. In fact, there's maybe hatred or there's maybe envy or there's strife, or there's rivalries, or there's corruption, or there's addiction. And Lord, we want to set aside and be set free from the things of the flesh and instead live in the power of the Holy Spirit by putting our eyes on you. That we remember that we are grafted into the trunk of the tree that is Jesus Christ. And that it's not by our our own effort, but it's by the nourishment of the Holy Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit grows. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, myself included, that we will be rooted in the word of God, that we will be rooted in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that we will be grafted in and attached to and our eyes are fixed on what Christ has done so that we can set aside all of our straining of our own effort at the law and we can set aside all the corruption of our flesh and we can live by the fruit of the Spirit. Father, that's our prayer. Help us to understand it. Help us to live it. In Christ's name, amen.